Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And Nate, and welcome to Harvest. And whether this is your first time here, you've been here many, many times, I want you to know a couple things. One, your family here, and you are loved here. And uh, no matter whether your week was a great week or whether your week was a really, really hard week, you are, you are very, very loved here. We're going to be in 1 Samuel, if you want to get a head start there, chapter 18, 19, and 20. We're going to look at parts of each of them. Um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one in the back, and uh, we would love for you to take that as your, uh, our gift to you. We love God's Word here. We stand on God's Word here, and we love it. And we love to worship here. We love to worship through the, the Word of God. We love to worship through the worship of God. We love to worship through giving to God of our tithes and offerings. And so if this is your, heart, your, your church home, we'd love for you to continue to do that. There's a box in the back. You can give online, help us to finish the month strong and propel us into, into July. But, man, God is working in a profound way. And I'm going to tell you a story. About 17 or so years ago, I was on staff at, a, at another church. And the senior pastor and an elder went on a mission trip. They went on a mission trip to China. And if you're not familiar with China... Well, it's not the most friendliest of places, nor do they really want you to walk in the front door and say, I love Jesus. Will you want to come follow Jesus with me? That might land you in jail, if not worse. Well, my, the senior pastor and the elder, they had books they had with Bibles and Chinese in them because people need the word of God. And they were about to go through customs. And the senior pastor looked at the elder and said, man, we could get in trouble if we get caught. And before he knew it, the elder grabbed his bag out of his hand and said, only one of us is going to get in trouble if we get caught. He took both bags to him, therefore taking on all the risk, all the burden, all the potential sacrifice himself. Everything worked out okay. The Bible's got through customs, praise God, and God is at work. But I've never forgotten that story about a relationship that so valued one vertically God about the necessity to go on mission for God and to horizontally others that I am willing to embrace, I'm willing to take on the risk, the sacrifice of of what might happen out of love to God and to others. You see, we can't faithfully live missionally for Jesus Christ without living in deep, authentic, personal relationships, first and foremost vertically with Jesus, and then horizontally with others in and through Jesus Christ. At Harvest, our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great Commission. Our vision is one mission, one church, one family. Every single one of those things, when you pull back the blueprint to how Jesus designed his church, how God built his people, the mission and vision for this church, and we stand on the word of God, is at its core is relationships. First, vertically with God. When you think about one family, God created us in his image, Genesis 1, right? Every single human being is created in the image of God. Sin messed that up. God said, that's not good enough for me because I want you back in my family. I want you into a, back into an unbroken relationship with me. So he proclaimed in Genesis 3 that he's going to send Jesus. The first proclamation of the gospel is in Genesis 3. Where he tells the servant that I will stomp your head. He continues to pursue. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus saying, here's the the first and greatest commandment from Matthew 22 is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a vertical relationship. And then out of an overflow of a vertical relationship comes a horizontal one. And then what? Love what? Your neighbor as yourself. It's all anchored in love, vertical and horizontal. And then he builds his church on that, Jesus does. When you read Acts 2, you see how they love God and they stood for God and they lived in intimate community. They, they pooled their resources. They, they met together. They broke bread together. They committed their lives together. They lived life together, not surface level, soul level. 
We're going to see that with David and Jonathan today. But it's for us as well. We see that all throughout the book of Acts, as they went and lived on mission, in Ecclesiastes 4, Solomon talks about the reality about how it's important for us to, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. If one is by himself and he stumbles and falls, who is there to pick him up? We need to live life in community. So much of these past several years has torn us apart and isolated us. So much of our current climate is trying to divide us. And we need to live life missionally, one mission. You'll see this on the text, but John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus says, right? He's teaching us a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So that's the mission, right? The mission is to allow other people to see Jesus, to tell them about the life-saving work, the transformational work of the gospel. Now, how are we to do that? By loving one another. That can only happen in relationship. Vertical relationship drives horizontal relationship with love at the center of every relationship. Paul describes it this way in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, one of my favorite verses. He says, so being affectionately desirous, he's writing back to a church he spent about six months with, of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you would become very, very dear to us. Paul is the most macho of macho men, right? He's a gladiator of the gospel. He literally got left for dead several times, picked himself back up, went on preaching, but he's not afraid, men, to share his affection, to share the reality of the closeness of community, to open his heart and to open his life. And man, we're going to see that today. The early church lived committed to God and each other this way. We're going to see David and Jonathan do that today in evolving cultures, in contexts that are really, really difficult, where there is a cost to stand for the word of God. Their hearts were knit together by the love of God. And may we do that today. So you might be going, how do we do that today? How do we do that in a culture where everything seems to be divisive? I don't know if you're aware or if you've been living under a rock. On Friday, Roe v. Wade got overturned and the world seemed to explode. Some people are like, this is the greatest day. Other people are like, this is the worst day. And a lot of more colorful language than that. But our question is not what the world says. Our question is what God says. Because if we are really about, if your heart is to glorify God above all, what does that mean? It means to live for God in all and stand for God above all while loving others unconditionally in and through it all. It looks something like this. Our elders and I... um, when it comes to life, and when it comes to standing for the totality of God's word, we want you to know this. At Harvest, we wholeheartedly believe in and affirm the sufficiency, the authority, and the absolute truth of the totality of God's word. God wrote a book, 66 chapters, cover to cover. It's inerrant, without error, and its truth is absolute. We believe that God's word is very clear, that all human life is made by God, in the image of God, from before birth, and has great worth and value from the womb to the tomb, and that God commands us to obediently protect it, love it, value it, fight for it, and defend it. 
And we would be very glad to have any type of conversation you would love to have with us about that. We need to stand firmly. But as we stand firmly, we need to love deeply. Because we don't just need to stand on God's truth. We need to communicate God's truth the way that God would communicate his truth, how Jesus communicated it. We need to understand what, Paul, what Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do what? Do it with what? Gentleness and respect. And he's teaching and he's writing to people that were in a very oppressive persecution-driven culture. And he's like, even when you're being persecuted, gentleness, respect, because that's love. And that's the heart of our God. And that's the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we see over and over and over again. When he welcomed without judgment, and all are welcome here. All are loved here. Jesus welcomed the sinner. He welcomed the prostitute. He welcomed the wandering, the wandering, the curious, the rebel, He said, come. He met the woman at the well, which he wasn't supposed to do culturally. One, because she's a woman. Two, he was in Samaria. But he did it because love transforms. And love heals. What does it mean to love deeply? It means to speak as Jesus would. With kindness, with gentleness. It means to apply the totality of God's word. Like Micah 6, 8, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Because the reality is, is there is not a non-sinner in this room. All of us are sinners. All of us fall short. All of us need God's grace. One sin is not worse than another. We all stand on the very level playing field in desperate need of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because we are lost without him. And that reality is what life together is all about because then we are all bound together by the love of God because he takes what is diversity and he creates unity. He create, we're going to look at that today. He creates what should have been hostile and he makes it holy all through Jesus Christ. It means loving deeply that we apply the words of James to be slow to speak. And might I mention slow to type, slow to post, slow to email, Asking these questions, is what I'm about to say out of the words of my mouth or the fingers, is it God glorifying? Is it Christ exalting? Is it scripture affirming? And then fourth and finally, is it necessary? Is it edifying or is it just emotional? Wherever And however you walked in here this morning, I want you to know, without a doubt, you are loved. If you are hurting, you are loved here and you are welcome here. If you are angry, you are welcome here and you are loved here. If you're confused, concerned, you are welcome here, you are wanted here, and you are loved here. If you're rejoicing and celebrating, you are welcome here You are wanted here and you are loved here because this is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about the elders. It's not even about this church harvest. It's all about Jesus. And I believe with all of my heart that the love of God is the most powerful force in all of the world. 
And that is what knits our lives together. Paul writes that in Colossians 3.14. He says, and above all these things, above it all, above all the put off, put on, put off, put on, above them all, put on love. Because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. So friends, as we journey through the text today, will you put on love? Here's a big idea for this today. It's in your notes and it's on the screen. And I changed the last two words. It's probably, you'll see it on the screen in your notes. You want to cross out the last. I did it after we printed the bulletin, so my bad on that. But God was moving and I said yes. People after God's own heart are called to love deeply and stand firmly. To so scratch out the word loosely, write in firmly and fill in the blank, stand People after God's own heart, this whole Samuel text, this whole cover to cover is the search of God for people that are after his own heart. He didn't see it in Samuel or he didn't see it in Saul. He sees it in David. But people after God's own heart are called to love deeply and stand firmly because that's what Jesus does. Every word we say, every word that we type, every action that we take is meant to point people to Jesus Christ, not ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about what I perceive I should be owed because I'm owed nothing but hell because of my sin. But God, praise him for that. And other people after God's own heart also pursue relationships that display God's heart. In every context, to love those that agree with you deeply, and unconditionally, and to love those that disagree with you deeply and unconditionally. We should never stop loving because God never stops loving. He loved me in my mess, not just then, but now I am a mess. I am a sinner in need of a savior. And no one in this room is better than any other person in this room. No matter your background, your skin tone, your beliefs, your political standings, whatever, we all need Jesus. We will stand for God's word. We will not yield. We will not fold. But God's word teaches us that we all need Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in your presence and to move in a mighty way. God, I just pray that you would move and that you would work, that you would silence my words and that you would flow, that you would move powerfully and mightily, and that you would display your glory. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Heal broken hearts. Comfort those that are hurting. Carry those that are weak. Meet those that are questioning. Walk with those that are grieving. Sit with those that are wrestling. And manifest your presence in a profound way. Holy Spirit, convict and compel this morning. Encourage and exhort. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. We need you, God. We need you. And we want to glorify you. Make much of yourself in these next few moments, Jesus Christ. Because it's all about you. It's all about you. And we love you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel is the ninth book of the Old Testament. So if you start in the left hand of your Bible and go about nine books, you'll find it. 
Um, Last week, we saw David facing and defeating the giant Goliath, and that changed everything for him in more ways than one. It changed everything for the nation of Israel. Then we're going to see today and next week, the next two weeks, two key relationships that are severely impacted personally for David by this encounter. The first is David's relationship with Saul. Pastor Andrew is going to look at that next week. So we're going to take these two chunks of verse, chapters, 18, 19, and 20. We're going to intersperse these next two weeks. And Pastor Andrew is going to look at what happened in David and Saul's relationship primarily, although you hear a little bit about it today to set the context. And today we're going to primarily focus on David's relationship with Jonathan, uh, the son of Saul, and to see what lessons we have in that on how to live life together, to move from surface-level relationships to soul-level relationships, which is what God wants David's heart is, becomes knit together with Jonathan, as we will see. Read with me the first five verses of chapter 18 in 1 Samuel. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him, him being David, return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all of the people and also the sight of Saul's servants. So as we think about what friendship is, biblical friendship might not be what you think of. When you think of friend, what do you think of? Facebook friends, right? I've got a decent number of Facebook friends. You know what's funny when they say, hey, say happy birthday to this person. I'm like, how do I know that person again? (laughs) It's not talking about Facebook level friends. It's not talking about surface level friends. It's talking about biblical community. David was a scrawny, fair-skinned, red-headed teenager who just killed Goliath. He's going to marry Saul's daughter, be given great riches and in place in Saul's kingdom and his family no longer has to pay taxes. He was brought before Saul and he comes in in the end of chapter 17 carrying the, the hospitality gift of literally the head of Goliath. I don't know what you bring when you hang out with your friends. David brought the decapitated head of a giant. And in that moment, David and, uh, David and Saul were speaking in eight, as we moved to 18, and, and Jonathan's heart, his soul, was knit to David because he loved him. We don't know explicitly, but Jonathan is most likely many years older than David. David's a teenager. Jonathan's probably in his 20s or 30s at least, maybe even a 20 to 25-year age gap. But that didn't stop their hearts from being knit together. They were from a different socioeconomic class. David was from Bethlehem, a little town. He was a shepherd boy. Jonathan was in the palace while David was in the pasture. They grew up very, very differently, but that didn't stop them from God from knitting their hearts together. May we not allow what is different from our upbringings or even our present to stop God from knitting our hearts together with others. He loved him as his own. Love is going to be the theme throughout this because love is the theme throughout the Bible. Love vertical, love horizontal. In verse 2, 
Saul took David that they wouldn't let him return to his father's house. The Hebrew is very, very strong. It's like he forced him to stay. One, because it was a political move. David was a, he was a poster boy, if you would. He would have been on all the ads. He would have been on the billboard. Like he was the most popular guy. So Saul couldn't afford to leave and let him leave. And also he's, he was a military champion. He rallied the troops. So Saul gave him a position in his army. He sent him over the men of war, his army, and sent him out. God desires and created us to have soul-level relationships and friendships that are not just surface-level casual acquaintances. Friends, this morning, what are you seeking and what are you settling for? Look, we can't all have heart-to-heart relationships with a thousand people. I try, okay? I love people. I love you. I literally do. Whether I know you or not, I love you. And this is not just whether you're an introvert or extrovert. This is about pursuing what God wants us to pursue and opening our hearts to have our hearts knit together to God and to others, to live together as his church as he designed, to accomplish his mission as he commands us. Jonathan makes a covenant with David in in verse 3 of chapter 18. It wouldn't be his last covenant, but it is his first. The Bible doesn't mince words or waste words. He repeats it for emphasis. That That Jonathan loved David as his own soul. It says that twice in the first three verses. You think it's a big deal? Yeah, it is. He loved David as he loved himself. It's Matthew 22, living and breathing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Gospel friendships are powerful and they're impactful. They transcend time, age difference, as we see here, class difference, socioeconomic differences, vocational differences, knit together by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And we can't live life alone. We were not meant, we were not created to live life alone, right? Genesis 2, it is not God himself. It is not good for what? Man to be alone. So how do we have these soul-level relationships? They are bound together in God's love, as we read in Colossians 3 earlier. And they are marinated together in God's grace. Like you think about meat marinating over and over so that it takes on the flavor of the marinade in it and it saturates the entire being. Maybe that be the grace of God in our lives so that when others encounter us, they can do nothing but experience and taste and see the grace and the love of God because we have been marinated in it and filled with it. So how do we do this? How do we move? We're going to look today at five steps to moving from surface level to soul level relationships. It all starts in your heart. Remember, this series is all about your heart and my heart, the heart of the matter. These are heart level attitudes. They're heart level decisions. They're heart level foundations. The first is this. Soul level relationships give generously. Verse four. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David. He gave him his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is a big deal. This isn't just like, hey, have my excess. He he was a commander in the army, Jonathan was. He gave him his, his weapons. He gave him his robe. Jonathan is signifying in this that not is he just giving physical things, but he is giving and ceding the throne and the future throne of Israel to David. Jonathan is the oldest son of Saul. He is next in line to be the king naturally. That is his natural given right. But he lays down his right to pursue the righteousness of God. 
What an awesome friend, amen? And may we be willing to lay down what we consider our rights in pursuit of God's righteousness. Because by definition, Galatians 2.20 says, the life I live in the body I no longer live. To follow Christ is to lay down our human rights. But the life I live, I now live through Jesus who lives in me and through me because I am pursuing Christ's righteousness. Read the Beatitudes. Only when you, in Matthew 5, only when you pursue the righteousness of Christ will you truly be satisfied. Will you truly be filled? Jonathan is giving us a beautiful example of that. He's giving his position. He's giving his things. We are stewards, not owners. Friends, you do this so well. You're so generous, and I'm so thankful with your finances, with your hearts, with your homes, with your cars. You give and you give and you give. I just want to say thank you. But we all have opportunity to grow in this. Where can we give generously to others? Who is God calling you to give generously to? What is something you're holding back that you open open? And maybe it's a practical thing. Maybe it's a tithe. Maybe it's your home. Nobody's going to come in my home and dirty this all up. Open your door to your neighbors. Allow your house to be a gospel lighthouse. Maybe it's your heart. Some people, it's easier to open your home and not your heart. Other people, I can open my heart. You're not going to get my home. You're not going to get my stuff. What's it for you? In small group, are you willing to open your heart, to give generously of your heart? When you share your life and how it's really going, as messy or as beautiful as it is, it is a gift that you are giving generously. And we all do this because God is the greatest giver of all who generously gave his own son when we didn't deserve it, but we sure did need it, amen? So again, as we are looking to reflect Jesus, as we are looking to out of our vertical love of God and the model that he set, John 13, 34, 35, as I have loved you, so love others. We are going to hold nothing back. We are called to give all that we have as stewards, not owners, to see God glorified and his mission accomplished. Will you give generously? Where is God calling you to give generously? Jonathan gave his practical resources. He gave his prestige. He gave his power. He laid down his position for David. What will you do? Second step from surface level to soul level is to advocate faithfully. Turn with me, if you would, to chapter 19. Again, Pastor Andrew is going to come in next week and look at some of the other things that happened in chapter 18. But what's happened in chapter 19 is is essentially there was Saul sent David out to battle. David came back. He was victorious. People are literally singing his name and chanting his name in the streets and saying, you did a lot better than Saul did, and Saul gets ticked. He gets jealous, so much so that he wants to kill David now. Jealousy does a lot of bad stuff, guys. So that's the setting that we end up here. That's a long story short in chapter 19, verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and all of his servants that they should kill David. Saul's putting a hit on David. He's asking Jonathan to kill his best friend. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. 
and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and he said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it, and you rejoiced in it. Why then are you, will, you again, will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall be, not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in the presence as before. It's amazing what happens here. What we see is Jonathan standing in the gap. His father had the physical authority, but Jonathan in love said, what you are doing is sin. He stood up and he advocated for God's word and he advocated for David. He stood up to the king who is also his father. Are you willing to stand firm? He did so lovingly, respectfully, but boldly. He spoke well of David in a, toxic, in a toxic and hostile environment. That was both his home and sort of his workplace. He was a commander in the army. Many of you have difficult homes or difficult work experiences or difficult school environments. Are you willing to lovingly stand for God's word and for each other? Advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. That's the word of God. We see how God moves and God works. Do you see how God works in this passage in verse 6? Saul relents because God used Jonathan to stand in the gap and stand for scripture. He was a peacemaker. If Jonathan would have just been quiet, Saul wouldn't have relented and changed his heart. God can change anyone, anytime, anywhere. Amen? The power of God and God's love is unmatched. So if we think, what's going to happen if I stand up? What's going to happen if I do this? Like, we need to trust God. We're called to stand and speak lovingly and faithfully. And Jonathan did that so much so that David's able to be brought back into Saul's presence as was before. Now, this peace wouldn't last. But because Jonathan advocated for God vertically and for his brother, David, God worked. Who is God calling you to advocate for today? Again, not your own personal motives or preferences, but God's, God's word. Trusting him. To be an advocate means to love Jesus, to believe in, in the, the authority, the power, the sufficiency of God's word, to love a friend and to walk alongside that person, providing long-term support, accountability, and encouragement. No matter the mess or the ups and downs of life. We talk about that as we talk about biblical soul care, but it's just a reality of life. Are you willing to walk with your friends and advocate for God's word in their life? Or your parents, as Jonathan was doing here, or your boss, as Jonathan was doing here? Come what may. Are you willing to advocate for those that can't advocate for themselves? Anne does this phenomenally well with kids with special needs adoptions. She was connected to a member of our family in our church because of her advocacy. So, and so many of you do that so well. And by the way, please pray for Jay and Shannon Marsh as they're over literally right now in Bulgaria, meeting the three teens that they are adopting. Yes, three at the same time. 
because the love of God values all life. Pray for them as they travel and as they come home. And so good to see Chelsea and Sony and you guys today. Who will you stand in the gap for? Who will you advocate for? Because knowing that Jesus is our primary advocate, right? Romans 8, 34, we have Jesus, the Son of God, interceding on our behalf at the right hand of God right now. Isn't that awesome? You are covered in prayer. And as Jesus advocates for you to God, we, as his example, as his disciples, are called to advocate for others to God as well. Prayer is the most powerful form of advocacy. But we also must continue to stand for and, and, and stand on God's truth in everyday life. The third step to moving from surface level to soul level relationships is to commit wholeheartedly. Commit wholeheartedly. Turn with me to chapter 20, if you would. Summarize the first part of this. David gets ticked at Saul again because he gets filled with an evil spirit. Sometimes we have to understand and have compassion on those around us that are different because they don't have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. But David is on the run. Because advocacy, it doesn't always mean that you don't set up boundaries. Loving doesn't mean the absence of boundaries. But you still continue to love. David goes from place to place and and Saul is chasing him down and he ends up reconnecting with Jonathan. He comes back and he meets with Jonathan and and they sort of have this conversation in chapter 20 where it sort of goes, what are we going to do? And David's like, why is your dad trying to kill me? What have I done? And Jonathan's like, it's not you, it's him. And he goes, David goes to Jonathan, if, if I've really found favor in your eyes and if your dad's going to be the one to eventually kill me, will you do it anyway? And Jonathan's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go. I'm going to advocate to my dad. My dad tells me everything. And I, when I hear, you'll hear. And we will work together for your safety. And David goes, how do I know if my life is in danger? And Jonathan goes, let's go out into the field. They go deeper into a field and look, read with me if you would their interaction beginning in verse 12 of chapter 20. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be my witness when I have surrendered, when I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he's still well disposed towards David, meaning if he wants to kill you, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you, or just do you harm? Basically one, if it's, if David, if my dad wants to kill you, I'll let you know. If he doesn't, I'll let you know. If he still, my dad still wants to do your harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may also go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die, and do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Love, 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 right? Love binds, love holds, love knits, love vertically of God and love horizontally for other. And David and Jonathan are committing and covenanting their hearts and their lives together. Jonathan is acknowledging once again that David will ultimately be on the throne of Israel and not him. And David, so Jonathan's like, when you get there, look out for me and my family. Would you please care for us? 
If I'm alive or I'm not alive, would you care for my descendants? And they agree. They love each other deeply. And then they concoct this plan and Jonathan says, go out into the field and after this feast, here's the deal. David says, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell the story. Uh, here's a story to tell your dad, Jonathan. I'm going to tell him I went back to Bethlehem for a, for a sacrificial opportunity. And so the first day, it's a three-day feast coming up. If I'm not there the first day, he might miss me a little bit. The second day, he'll probably get a little nervous. By the third day, when he asks about me, if he's angry, come let me know. And that means I need to run. If he's okay with my absence and he gets my excuse, then I'll come back in. And here's how we'll know. I'll be out in the field and Jonathan, you're gonna shoot, Jonathan says, I'll shoot a bow. And if it comes beside you and I say, hey, servant, get the arrow beside you, that means all's good. If I shoot it over you and say it's behind you, David, that means you've got to run and you've got to go now. They covenanted with each other. And they held to it. This is not like sometime you'll be like, hey, it's the end of graduation. Ah, I'll see you next year. I'll write every day this summer. And then two days into summer, you stop, right? (laughs) I'll be a small group every week. And then four weeks later, well, life happened. I'm not, no, this is, we're going to do this. So much so, one of the most beautiful evidences of this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. David's become king. Saul and Jonathan have been killed. And Saul goes, is there anyone left of Saul's line? David goes, is there anybody left of Saul's line that I can show kindness to in love, in honor of my love for Jonathan? And the servant goes, there's the one crippled son of Jonathan named Mephibosheth. And David goes, he will eat at my table for the rest of his life. And I want you to take the land and I want you to take the possessions of Saul and I want you to give them to him and his family. And I want you to work the land or get some servants to work the land for him so he can get it. But he eats at my table. He's family. That's a big deal. Again, Saul and David were adversaries. Some might view Mephibosheth as a threat to the throne. David said, no, he's family. He adopted him into his own family. What an evidence of the love of God and the gospel of God that loves all people. We are imperfect people with imperfect hearts, souls, and lives that are knit together. That's what life together is, seeking to love God. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Above all, again, love, because love covers a multitude of sins. Forgive without limit. Welcome without judgment. Show God's grace unconditionally. Continue to go the extra mile. So what does that look like for us here? How do we commit ourselves to each other? What does it look like practically? Because again, one mission, one church, one family. So these are, this, this covenantal relationship is on a one-on-one basis, but it's also on, it's the basis for which God builds his church because we are a gathering of individuals choosing to knit our hearts and lives together and the glory of God to live on mission for God by the grace of God. Here's some, here's some commitments that we ask folks to make as part of the membership process here at Harvest. And maybe you've made these and maybe you haven't. Maybe you made them and maybe you sort of slacked on them. I'm asking you again today to recommit to them. In your heart, or maybe you haven't gone through the formal moment, we would love to talk with you about it, but would you today be willing to commit to think about or pray about committing in this way? This is what commitment looks like. To worship Christ means personally and as a part of this church family, continually making attendance at Harvest a high priority in my life and participating fully in the worship services at Harvest because a disciple worships Christ. To walk with Christ, the commitment there is to personally and as a part of this church family, because a disciple walks with Christ, committing to maintain consistent disciplines of Bible study, prayer, and personal witness. 
pursuing personal holiness and rejecting unrighteousness in my attitudes, actions as I live my life in front of each other and the community around me. I commit to disciple and care for one another at harvest and will walk in fellowship with other believers by participating in a small group. I will pursue and maintain unity in the fellowship by submitting to the leadership of the church and will not neither criticize nor listen to criticism concerning any other members of this body. When personally offended, I will first speak directly and lovingly to those involved. It's a commitment. I commit to work for Christ because Christ, that's what Christ calls us to and modeled for us by personally as a part of this church family, shouldering kingdom responsibility of service and will use my spiritual gifts and passions within the church ministry. We have a need for workers in the children's ministry. If you want us to work for Christ, will you serve in kids? I will intentionally steward and give generously the resources that God has entrusted me and I will financially support the ministries of Harvest by faithfully giving back to the Lord a portion of my a, a biblical portion. New, Old Testament says ten percent. New Testament says give generously of my of my my increase of my earnings. I had a guy in small group recently say, "God's really stirring on my heart to start tithing." I'm like, "That's awesome, bro." And then I sent him the link. Seriously, accountability. Because we can talk about a lot. The question is, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. This is biblical. Every piece of this comes out of God's word. I will also intentionally pursue purposeful engagement and activity in God's mission by sharing the gospel locally and globally as God will allow. I'm fired up about us going to the DR, not just for our team, but for our church. To see what God's going to do as we support church planting network and not, of not just one, but two new church planting opportunities there. Pray for God to move powerfully. There are 59 one another's in the New Testament about living life together. How we are to love God vertically and love each other horizontally as we stand firmly and love deeply because that's what people after God's own heart do. Amen? Here's a great resource on it. It's a classic. You'll see it on the screen by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite people that I love to learn about, called Life Together. It was written during Nazi Germany. Cultural crisis? Yes. Was it hard? Yes. Can we still live life together? Absolutely, yes. People after God's own heart are called to love deeply and stand firmly. The fourth step to moving from surface level to slow level relationships is this, to sacrifice significantly. Look with me at verse 30 of chapter 20. David has... As Jonathan has laid this out for his dad. David was missing and he was supposed to be there. He's Saul's son-in-law at this point. He's a commander of the armies. He's supposed to be there and he wasn't. So Saul's like, okay, first day, maybe he's just getting himself clean. Second day, he's like, where's David? And he gets angry. And Jonathan gives him the line that they came up with about David going to Bethlehem. And here's Saul's response in verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against who? Jonathan. Not David, Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Ouch. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then to Jonathan, then to Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger, ate no food on the second day of the month. And he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. 
In this moment, as Jonathan was loving God and loving others by standing up for David and God, Saul's anger turned on Jonathan. He said some really nasty things to Jonathan, did he not? And what the source of that was, was pride and anger, because he looked at Jonathan as the source of his own succession. How could you, Saul, essentially say, give up the throne? I want it for you, but even more than that, I want it for me. It's my legacy. Even though God had already told him that he was going to strip the throne away from him, Saul was trying to hold on as hard as he can. What are you trying to hold on to right now that God has told you to stop doing? Chapter 13, God says to Saul, because you are not a man after my own heart, I will take this throne from you, and I will search for a man after my own heart. God wants people after his own heart. But Saul is still trying to hold on. Jonathan sacrificed significantly. He was willing to not just take a bullet. They didn't have bullets back then. But a spear for David and for God. Taking a loving stand for God often, if not always, has some level of cost. It might not be your life. Some places it is. It might be your job. Might be a friendship, might be your family. It was here. Jonathan is standing up to his father. Might be your reputation. But a true soul level relationship is a peacemaker because it realizes that peacemaking is different than surface level peacekeeping, which is to say, I'll do whatever, I'll compromise in order so that there's peace. No, God doesn't call us to be peacekeepers on a surface level, He calls us to be peacemakers on a soul level. And the ultimate, on the only ultimate source of peace in your heart and soul and mind is Jesus Christ. You can't find it in any other way, in any other place. And if you're searching for it, you're probably hurting this morning because you don't have it. But when you have it, you can have peace in the middle of the craziness of the storm. So until we lovingly lead and point everyone in our life to the sole source of peacemaking, Jesus Christ. We still have work to do. We're loving them even when we disagree. We're continuing to love, to show grace, to stand firm, but to point them to Jesus. Sometimes we need to endure conflict on the way to peace. We need to prioritize Christ over comfort, over convenience. Because Jesus himself said in John 15, 13, that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jonathan's willing to do that for David because Jesus did that for us. Are you willing to do that for God? Are you willing to do that for others? And maybe dying today, maybe it's physical, but maybe it's just your personal preferences. Pursuing love over license, righteousness over rights, God's righteousness. Because when earlier when Jonathan takes off his robe and gives it to David, it reminded me so vividly of the reality that we bring nothing but to Jesus but our rags of our sinful flesh. We can't pay the price for the sin that God has given that we have committed. But God pursued us in such a way that Jesus took the took our sin 
and took the price for our sin with him to the cross. He gave his only life. And in doing that, he took his robe of righteousness and he clothed us with it. When we didn't deserve it, when we didn't earn it, but praise God for it. Amen. And obviously John was listening to what Jesus said because he wrote it there in the book. And for, and the, but then he also wrote it again in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. He says this, John the apostle says, but by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jonathan is willing to do that. Are you willing to do that? What are you willing to sacrifice for God and others? Said differently, Maybe what are you today are you holding on to that you're unwilling to sacrifice? Because that generally reveals a source of idolatry in your heart. Are you unwilling to sacrifice the position, the paycheck, the prominence, the prestige, the possessions? Jesus laid everything down for you and I. Will you lay it down for him? Soul level friends show up during adversity. Jonathan was showing up. The power of presence, the ministry of presence is profound. I would challenge you to show up for people this week, to listen, to sit. Whether you agree with them or not, listen, sit, love. Don't compromise, stand for God's truth, speak it with grace and kindness but sit in the compassionate way that Jesus sat with sinners. Did he not? He ate with tax collectors. When the prostitute broke up the dinner party at the Pharisee's house, Jesus says, she's a true worshiper. May you have the grace of God to fill you and may you understand this. No matter what your past is, we all have stuff in our past. God's grace covers it. His grace is sufficient for it. And it's sufficient for your present and it to be sufficient for your future. His sacrifice was significant and it was sufficient. And soul level friends stand up during difficulty. Be willing to show up at the house, the funeral home. Be willing to get on the plane, pick up the phone. Drive the miles. Just be there in the way that Jesus is always with us. Jesus came to us. We should go to others. Jesus modeled in Philippians 2. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He sacrificed his time in heaven. He left a place he didn't have to leave. He became a servant. He took on a role that he, well, many might say would be beneath him, but that was the only way. With humility, he loved and he cared. He never compromised truth, but he served. He washed the feet of the man that was about to sell him out in the upper room. He got on his knees and washed Judas's feet. He never compromised truth, but he sure did love. What's love? The fifth and final step on this journey, as we see from this text, is to hold loosely. 
How do we go from surface level to soul level? Hold loosely. Not to God's truth. Stand firm in that, but hold loosely to people, possessions, positions, things. Verse 35. In the morning, when Jonathan went out into the field in the appointment with David and with the little boy, and they get there and they, they do this, and he, Jonathan shoots the arrow. And in verse 38, and Jonathan called after the boy, David's hiding. He says, hurry, be quick, do not stay. That message was more for David than the boy. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. Because the boy arrow is beyond you. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave up his weapons to the boy. And he said to him, go and carry them to the city. Basically go home. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beyond, beside the stone heap. He fell on his face to the ground. And he bowed three times before Jonathan. And they kissed one another. And they wept with one another. David weeping the most. And then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Because he is you. we have both sworn of us in the name of the Lord. Saying the Lord shall be between you and me and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed. Jonathan went into the city. He held loosely. Jonathan and David loved each other so much that they did not let grief stop them from pursuing what God's best was. They were grieving. They wept. They kissed. And kissing was cultural. They kissed on the cheek. It was a sign of affection. They leaned into God, even when it was hard. They leaned into biblical community, even when it was hard. They let go, even when it was hard. They released, even when it was hard. And in that pain, what I love with this is they experienced peace in the middle of the pain. Jonathan said to David, verse 42, go in peace. Why? Because the Lord shall be between you and me. God's going to connect us. In this difficulty, we can still have peace. Because while I'm letting you go, we're going to hold firmly to God. Who is the source of peace? Jonathan loved deeply, David deeply, and he loved God more. He loved him deeply enough to let him go. It was not an easy road, but God was with them, and that was enough for them. Jonathan let, held, held loosely his position of the next in line to be king. He held loosely of his armor. He held loosely of his best friend. Will you hold loosely for gospel purposes all those things as well? What are you holding back today from God? What is holding you back from others? Open your heart to loving others. Grief is the price of love. What things are you holding on to tightly? Because you, I don't want to love because that person might take my spot on the team. That person might be better than me at this at work. So I got to push them off. One of the funny things in the NFL is all these star quarterbacks are like, it's not my job to mentor the next guy. Friends, as disciples of Jesus Christ, it is 100% our responsibility to mentor the next guy. To work yourself out of a job, to disciple, to love, to release. May our relationships, may we love like Jonathan, who reflects the love of Jesus. Jesus says it this way in John 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You see it again? Soul level friendships, Jesus is our friend, are anchored in love. They love deeply and they hold loosely. How do I know they hold loosely? Jesus says that as he's about to personally leave. And he says that. So I, when he says, I have appointed you that you should what? Go. 
to the neighborhoods and to the nations. Go and share this love. Go and bear much fruit by remaining in me because that's how I get peace. Friends, we are ascending church. We are a military church. And there's some realities I've learned over the last seven years that, that releasing and holding loosely is really, really hard. It's really hard because we love deeply and I want to challenge you to keep loving deeply but it should be hard because if it's not hard, we're not really loving. You only grieve what you miss and you love, right? Embrace the hard. Love anyway. It hurts and it's beautiful because it displays the gospel. May we have enduring principles that love God overall in every aspect of our relationships. Love God, love people in all, all people everywhere, all the time, any place, love. God's grace is sufficient to strengthen you to love. His grace is sufficient to endure persecution and hardships that come. May we communicate clearly love. David and Jonathan communicated clearly that they loved each other, right? Dudes, especially, we got to communicate that we love each other. If we, right? You don't have to do it in their cultural way, but do it in our own. Text somebody. Email them. Give them a hug. Put your arm around them. Let them know that you love them and that you're praying for them and that you're with them. You have no idea the transformational power of the love of God by doing that. You have no idea. Do it. Who are you going to do it to today? And do it again. In your own way. Trust God with it all. David and Jonathan were trusting each other with it all and live for God through all. You'll see at the end of this text, David goes off this way. Jonathan goes back into the city. Jonathan stayed. He went back to his day job where it was really hard with his family, right? His dad just tried to kill him. He's going back to his dad because God hadn't released him yet, but God released David. Sometimes God calls you to go. Sometimes God calls you to stay. Every time God calls you to be obedient and to love. Will you do it? Holding loosely to what you hold dearly on this earth to embrace what God gives us eternally. Finally, we become what we behold, don't we? So as we love God vertically and we behold him, we look to him. You might be, how can I love this person that's different than me? Because we trust and we anchor in the word of God that teaches that the love of God and the gospel breaks down every single hostility. Amen. How do I know that? God's word says it from Ephesians chapter 2. 2, 14 through 16. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made for us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Isn't that awesome? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. He's talking to Jew and Gentile, people that hated each other. God broke it down so that making peace that we might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility from hostility to family through the blood of, of Jesus Christ. Amen. The power of the gospel is unmatched. People after God's own heart are called to love deeply and stand firmly in every season, in every situation, in every circumstance. Today, friends, who are you beholding? As you behold the lamb, you will love if beholding the lamb is the priority of your heart, and I want to be like Jesus, he will give us the strength to love like Jesus. So again, go back to the beginning. As I have loved you, Jesus said, so you are 
to love one another. By how you love one another, this is how they will know that you are my disciples. Not how much intellectual information you have, not how much scripture memory you have, not how much money you put in the offering plate, but how you love. When it's hard, when it hurts, when it costs you something, when it costs you everything, Will you choose to love? Because that's how God looked at you and he looked at me and said, you're worth it to send my son, Jesus Christ, to break down the wall of hostility because I want you to be family. And there's no other way but Jesus. Praise him. Friends, will you behold the lamb today? And what is your next step in moving from surface level to soul level relationship vertically with God personally? And maybe you just need to make the, I want to know more about this God that loves me in my mess. I'd love to pray with you and talk. And what is your next step in moving horizontally in relationships? What's one relationship that God's putting on your heart that says, maybe today I need to, I need to forgive that person. I need to give them a hug. I need to encourage them. I need to love them. I need to show up for them. I need to sacrifice for them. People are hurting and we have hope. The hope of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Light shines in the darkness. There is no darkness that can stamp out the light and the love of Jesus Christ. So friends, let's shine brightly as we love deeply and we stand firmly on the transformational power of the word of God. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love and your majesty. We are here today, Jesus, to declare you and to behold you. You are the lamb that was slain. You are the one that laid down your life. And in these moments, God, we look to you and we need you. Fill us with your love for others and give us the power to love all around us in a way that displays you and not ourselves, because it's all about you, Jesus. You can heal, you can save, you can restore, you can redeem. You are our peace. God, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.